All right, great seeing you this morning. Hope you had a great time with family and friends this past week celebrating the birth of our Savior and looking forward to a, the week ahead with the New Year's celebrations. We did have some great services last weekend, as Luke already mentioned. So thankful for those numbers and for the, the people that that represents and the lives changed. And one of the things that, as well that I'm thankful for is uh, just the people that were involved. I know when I come, like Monday, I was, I'm here early and, and uh, just watching people start to come in and people that are in part of what's going on. And I know if you, if you prayed, if you gave, if you served, if you invited someone, thank you so much for being a part of that. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing. It, just, it excites me to see that happening, see people coming and starting getting involved and, and see lives change through that. And so thank you. It makes me so glad to be a part of this church family. Um, I know some of you remember from Kevin's message that he talked about that, uh, you know, when he's a kid waiting for his parents to get up on Christmas morning, all, you know, probably most of us, unless you're one of those families that did Christmas Eve unwrapping and you cheated that way, and, you know, but, uh, but if you, if you did the Christmas morning stuff, you know what it's like, you waited, and, you know, that's one of the things about Christmas, it seems like there's a lot of waiting going on. You know, you wait for the presents, you, sometimes you're waiting for family to arrive, and then a few days later, you're waiting for them to go home. Yeah, I know. My mother-in-law's in town, but I don't mean that if you're here at this service. Um, uh, uh, you're waiting at the grocery store. You're waiting to check out at some department store. You're, you're waiting. There's a lot of waiting going on. Thankful, so thankful that there's one aspect of our lives that we don't have to wait on. And that's our Heavenly Father. He's always there. He's present, right? For the time that we invite him into our lives, we have this new life where he is present with us. That's his present to us, his presence. And so glad for that because that, that changes us. That makes us new. That gives us hope. He's always there. All because at some point, because of his great love for us, we became his children and were adopted into his family. And all of that became available to us because his son was willing to come to this earth to offer us eternal life. You know, the last few months, we have looked at the saga that extends from creation to the birth of Jesus. We looked through the entire Old Testament showing how, how it tied together to bring us to him. And then in these last few weeks with Epic Christmas, we've been looking at how the details surrounding his birth were really a culmination of that saga that God had planned out. See, God has been working his plan all along to redeem us. And that word redeem, that's, that's significant for us as Christians. It's got to do with the fact that he paid our price. He paid the debt we owed. And ironically, it was a debt we owed to him. But he paid it and bought us back and he redeemed us to make us his own. And that was his plan for the very beginning and even before time began. As we've seen in these series, when he created us, he gave us free will. And from the beginning, he, we chose with that free will to be disobedient. And that's where things fell apart. I was talking this past week, our daughter uh, Carrie and her family were up from North Carolina and uh, they have a three-year-old 
girl, our granddaughter Riley, who has uh, recently decided that in response to her parents' correction, she could stomp her feet. And uh, she's been told that that's not, not acceptable. And so she knows if she does that again, and she has and will, that, <laughs> that she will be corrected for that as well. So she goes and she breaks some rules. She's disobedient in some area. She gets corrected. And then in the process, she stomps her feet, and then she gets corrected again. And her response to that is, but I was happy. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to lie my way out of this and act like, no, I wasn't mad at you for correcting me. I, you know, I was, everything was good. And that's so typical of us, isn't it? God's put the, his will out for us to know, and what we've done is we've been disobedient, and then we go about whatever we can do to try to explain why we've done what we've done. We're so rebellious in our very nature that sometimes we're not even honest with ourselves. But God, still, knowing that we would choose that route from before the time of creation, planned to redeem us and pay our price. And we see that plan at work in the opening chapter of John. John chapter 1, you can turn there if you've got a Bible, as we close out this whole epic series today, an epic Christmas, with what I think are some great reminders as we get ready to head into a new year with all the unknown that that brings and the uncertainty of the unknown. You know, we, we feel that a lot in this life. You watch the news and you're like, wow, this place is falling apart, but here I am. What's going to happen? Thankful to know that we, we've got a God who's got it under control, Right? With all the uncertainty of the new year, maybe with the struggles that we might be going through uh, in relationships or on the job or whatever else, maybe even in areas of where we need to be challenged because we've got areas of disobedience in our life. This passage deals with all of that. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about, about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming in the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Just some awesome thoughts as John capsulizes what we've seen as a whole epic series. 
and what it was all about. It was really about the one that John calls here the Word. The Word is talking about Jesus. You know, philosophers in that day, they used that word, word to, to express the ultimate reason that controlled all things. So we could go with that because he does have control, but I think the meaning is more than that. I think John is tied into some common thinking in that time. Remember, the Old Testament was uh, written primarily uh, in Hebrew. But in Jesus' day, the people, the common people spoke a, a, a development of Hebrew called Aramaic. And so those Old Testament books had to be translated into Aramaic. And as they did that, the copies of those translations were called the Targums. The translators of the Targums were very interested in, in not trying to uh, express anything in God that would look like humanity. And so they, wanted, they were very into the transcendence of God, that he was above and beyond us. And so when it comes to passages like Deuteronomy 9 that says that God is a consuming fire, the Targums would translate that the Word of God is a consuming fire. They would insert the Word of God as part of the name of God. They did that to try to, again, avoid this issue of attributing human thoughts and actions to God. So the Word became a common Jewish expression. The Word of God became synonymous with God Himself. So I think John is simply using that common thinking to show Jesus as God Himself. It's the best way of expressing his nature. And, and he goes on to describe him here. And these are the reminders. These reminders of who Jesus is that can comfort us in the unknown, that can encourage us in tough times, and that can challenge us toward obedience. First of all, he's the eternal word. John starts, in the beginning. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Reminds us of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. John says here, in the beginning was the Word. Notice that he doesn't say that he's from the beginning, not at the beginning, not in the be but in the beginning. So at creation, he's already there. John's making us the point that assumes that Jesus had a timeless eternity, He's always been. There wasn't a, a point in time when he came into existence. There's never been a time when he did not exist. And in eternity, he was with God. The Word was with God. What an awesome place to be. You know, before he was Emmanuel, God with us, he was with God, his Father. And when they say, it says with, it's not just talking about near him or by him. The with here that we're talking about is more than just location. You know, you could say, well, I was with 40,000 fans at a baseball game, or I was with 90,000 fans at a football game. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus was with God in his eternal state, and the with here has an intimacy to it. Literally, the term could be translated towards Jesus, God the Son, towards God the Father, face to face with each other. It's the idea of an intimate, personal relationship with another. The Word was with God, and then the Word was God. Now John just flat out says it. Eternally, He was God. Everything God the Father was, God the Son was in His essence. Always has been, 
always will be. He can't be anything more, and he never was anything less. See, we don't serve a second-rate Savior. It, it, he's, he isn't a lesser God that the Jehovah's Witness would teach us. He wasn't a man who became a God like the Mormon church would teach us. He was God in his essence from eternity past. There's none better. There can't be any better. This is the same argument that the writer of Hebrews was making when he wrote to encourage the people in New Testament times to keep going in their faith. Our Savior is superior to any other option. It only makes sense then that we would stay faithful. So in eternity, he was in intimate relationship with the Father, and he is one in essence with the Father. What a great, great place he was in. He is the eternal word, and he is the creative word. Verse 3 says, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's the creative word. Absolutely everything owes its existence to him. And that's a lot of comfort for us that, that know him. And the idea that there's nothing in the universe which is unknown to him, which doesn't owe its very existence to him, and which must not ultimately obey him. The Bible tells us that every knee will bow before him. So every skeptic, every person that mocks who he is, the, the philosophers, the politicians, the celebrities, every per you and I, everyone will one day acknowledge him as Lord because we all owe our very existence to him. He's the creative word. He spoke and all things came into existence and he keeps it all. As the writer of Hebrews says, he upholds all things by the word of his power. The apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1.17, he said, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He created it and he sustains it. He's the eternal word, he's the creative word, and he's also the life-giving word. Verse four says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. In him was life. It's talking about the spiritual life that he's given us. Life that's the light of men. You know, in the Old Testament, sometimes the light is shown as an attribute of God. In Psalm 104, light's his garment. In Daniel 2, light dwells with him. In Habakkuk 3, his brightness was like the light. And I think what John is doing is he's pointing out here that this, in this one, this word, God's purpose and power are made available to us. He's our ultimate hope. He's the one who brings life to those who are spiritually dead when they turn to him. So that's who we celebrate. That's who we've celebrated this past week of Christmas. That's what, who we serve, the word, eternal, creative, and life-giving. He's the one that the whole epic timeline was all about. It was about him, the word, and ultimately, it was about the word becoming flesh. Verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And what extremes, the eternal God. stepped into time. The creator, 
became a creature. The light stepped into the darkness. The one who brought life came to die. He became flesh. The flesh is actually sort of an ugly word, and I think it's meant to be that way. It's a crude way of referring to being human. It's stressing the weakness of being one of us. John doesn't say, you know, the word became man. He doesn't say here, the word took on a body. No, he became flesh. There's something vulnerable in that term. He uses a term which says what he wants to say in the most blunt way that he can, flesh. So significant a fact that he became flesh that First John 4 tells us, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See, the incredible contrast is not just in location that he came from heaven to a stable, but in the fact of what occurred, the Creator becoming a creature. He became at a point in time not just any point, as Galatians 4.4 tells us, but when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. See, it was God's time. It was his perfect time. Kevin talked about some of the prophecies of the Old Testament that pointed out details of his birth. Isaiah 7.14, that he be born of a virgin. Micah 5.2, that he be born in Bethlehem. Daniel, who tells us when it was going to happen. So we look at Old Testament prophecy, we know when, we know how, we know where he was going to be born. He fulfilled it all. It was perfect. It was according to God's plan. It was was perfect time spiritually. The world was in a moral abyss. There was spiritual hunger everywhere. He came and he came to fulfill and to fill that hunger. And you ever thought about how important it was, the time of his life on earth, from a cultural and historical standpoint? I mean, how, how important was it that one language dominated the world, the Greek language, for the spread of the truth of his love and his care and his sacrifice for us? How important was it that the Romans had built this incredible road system that allowed travel to happen so that the spread of the gospel could happen? How important was it that there, was, there were decades between the time of the crucifixion and the Roman destruction of Jerusalem, time for the church to develop and grow. It was God's perfect time. He came in the fullness of time, and he came among us. Here's one of those incredible contrasts. He was with God, right? in the beauty of that relationship, in absolute perfection. But he came to live among us. Among us, with all of our grumbling and bickering, among us with our pride and egos, among us with our weaknesses and failures, among us with our problems and difficulties, among us with our sickness and disease, among us with our worries and concern, among us, and apart from his heavenly father. It's, it's ironic, isn't it, that is, at Christmas, we think of it as a time to be with our families, but that first Christmas, the greatest separation that ever occurred happened when God himself came and lived among us as one of us. 
He was Emmanuel, God with us. And we know being with us also meant that he was made like us. Hebrews 2, 17 says, therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to be made like his brethren in all things. God, Jesus, absolutely 100% God, absolutely 100% man. So that he, the omnipotent one, would grow hungry and thirsty, that he would get tired, that he'd feel pressure and rejection. Isaiah 53.3 says, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he experienced it all. And he came and he dwelt among us. You may have heard that word described before. It literally means to pitch your tent. And John wanted us to picture, I think, God's presence in the tabernacle, that Old Testament tent that was used until the temple was built. God's glory associated with that tabernacle. And in Exodus 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It must have been something to see. But that tabernacle was just temporary until they built the temple. The temple was just temporary until the Word became flesh. When the place of His dwelling came in the flesh of Jesus, God's glory here among us in the person of His Son. And we saw His glory, John says. We, we looked at it. Glory which was revealed, I think, more by His humility than by outward splendor. It was, it's true, it was shown in his miracles. We know in the very next chapter, John chapter 2, Jesus works his first miracle. He changes the water into wine at the wedding and there in Cana. And we read in verse 11, the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So it was, his glory was, was revealed in his, in his miracles, but in a deeper way, his glory is seen through his suffering and death. John would later write in chapter 12, he said, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in chapter 13, therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. His glory revealed to us in his suffering and his humility You know, sometimes you hear people ask things like, well, why doesn't God reveal himself? Why didn't he show himself? Well, he has, hasn't he? He's shown himself over and over again. He did it. He revealed himself in creation. Romans 1 tells us that. He revealed certain aspects of his glory through creation. More clearly, he revealed himself in his word. And most clearly, he revealed himself in his son. The Word among, came to live among us. He made Himself known to us if we're just willing to acknowledge Him. 
He came among us, and why did he come? Look at verse 16. If I can find it. (laughs) For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. He came to live among us so that we would realize grace and truth. You know, there was a lot of Jewish thought at that time that believed grace and truth was, came through Moses. But we know that wasn't Moses, as, that wasn't the purpose of the law that Moses gave to us, right? The purpose of the law, as, as the scriptures tell us, was to point out our sin. So the law screams to us that we're guilty. But Jesus came to provide grace and truth for us. So while the law yells guilty, God's grace reaches out in our guilt and transforms us. It's what we see in Romans 5, 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're yet sinners, powerless, his death that we just remembered this morning through the bread and the cup was a demonstration and is a demonstration still today of his love for us. He came to reveal grace and truth to us. The word, our eternal, creating, life-giving God became flesh and lived among us to provide us with grace and truth from the beginning to the end. That's the epic plan that scripture tells us about. So with a new year ahead of us, and all that being true about him, it's comfort as you face the unknown. You don't know what's gonna happen this day, we don't know what's going to happen through the next year, but we know that who, the one that is with us is the eternal, creating, life-giving God. He walks through us, with us through every single day. And if we're struggling through some difficult times, through loss, through pain, the eternal, creating, life-giving God walks through it with us. And he understands because he was made like us in every way. And if our life hasn't been what we'd like it to be in obedience to him and we need to be challenged by him, this great news for us because this eternal, creating, life-giving God came to provide us with grace and truth. So the truth about who we are as sinners, the truth about his grace for us, it's there for us every single day. You know, a lot of times at Christmas we sing the old song, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, But Christmas isn't just for the faithful, is it? It's also for the faithless. And it's not just for the joyful and triumphant. 
It's also for the joyless and defeated. Aren't you glad it's that way? Hey, if your life isn't Instagrammable, Christmas is also for you. Because we've all been there. Faithless and joyless and defeated. But still the eternal, creating, life-giving God left heaven to be with us, to provide us with grace and truth. Any direction for this coming year? Look to Jesus. You need encouragement? Look to Jesus. You need to be challenged? Look to Jesus. He's all we need for 2019. And he's all we need for the rest of our lives. If you never entered into a relationship with him, he came because he loves you. And he wants to provide grace and truth to your life. If you'll turn to him, ask him for forgiveness, ask him into your life, he will come, he'll provide that for you. Forgiveness and eternal destiny is offered to you as a free gift. You'll turn to him. If you have questions about that, if you want to talk to somebody about that, we're going to close the service here in just a minute. And you can go into this room right back here, room one, there'll be pastors there. They would love to talk with you about what it means, answer any questions we can for you. But believer, we should go into 2019 just like we should be able to go into any day of our lives. Comforted, encouraged, and challenged because we serve the eternal, creating, life-giving God. He loves us. He walks with us. He's present with us every single moment. That is his gift to us. Would you stand with me and we'll pray? Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us, and uh, thank you for your son and his willingness to come to live among us, to be made like us, to offer us grace and truth. Thank you for that life-changing message, and thank you, God, for all that that brings to us. I pray for... Anyone here, God, who may not have come to a point of faith yet in their life, then they haven't really come to a point of establishing a relationship with you. I pray that they do that today. And for those of us who know you, God, I pray that we are walking out of here encouraged, challenged, comforted by your presence in our life. Thank you, God, again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, look forward to seeing you back next week for now or never. Have a great week.